everyone, and welcome once again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast series. This episode is titled Understanding Offshore Habitats, and we're going to be talking to Captain Chip Berry of Maps Unique. Uh, we'll be covering such areas as uh, live bottoms, offshore terraces, ARs, Gulfstream current, and how water regimes impact fishing. So we got a lot to cover to help you understand offshore habitats to make a successful plan to go offshore. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community of North Carolina since 2003. We've been bringing you fishing reports, fishing information, fishing tournaments, fishing schools, and now in our latest and greatest chapter, this Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. And it is in this series where we reach out to our captain and guide friends from up and down the North Carolina coast and ask them to share with us their insights, their knowledge on how to catch more fish more often with the true goal of not just catching more fish, but getting you and your family and friends out on the water, spending more time together more often. I am joined in this endeavor and this episode, just as I am in every episode, with my podcast partner, Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Billy, welcome to another episode. Gary, good to be here, man. Hope you're doing good. I am. I'm doing good, and I'm, ex I'm excited. I'm, I've, I've, missed, I've missed the podcast. It's good to be back in the seat. Yeah, man, it's always good to be behind the microphone learning how to catch more fish more often. And uh, I know I learn a ton, not only being here in the recording session, but also when I go back into post editing and edit the show. Oh, so I, I like double dip a little bit. So, and I think some of our followers and listeners probably do the same. Maybe they save it and go back and watch it and use these more like a textbook than uh, just the entertainment. So, that's my strategy. I don't know why I went down that whole philosophy no, of like how to it. use Facebook. I'm glad to hear you're YouTube paying videos. attention and production as well. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, man, I'm excited. So it's uh, a lot of fun to be here, a lot of fun to be here. And it's all made possible by our great sponsors, which I, I want to shout out really quickly. And uh, it's R.A. Hitch here, Raleigh Apex Hitch, Hitch's Trailers, Bike Racks, and more. Chris and his team uh, always do a just a phenomenal job uh, helping the outdoorsman, outdoors lady, waterman get out on the water and providing all those tools and equipment. And then also our one of our number one sponsors uh, that has been with us since episode five, Marine Warehouse Center. I'm going to play a quick video from those guys and we'll be right back. Hey, it's Robbie with Marine Warehouse Center in Wilmington and Charleston. We are headquarters for Pair Custom Boats. These center consoles are handmade in Washington, North Carolina, and are custom designed for fishing and family fun on the water. Right now, we have several models in stock, and build times on the custom orders are around five months. These boats are custom built to fit your needs, from the seating, the tops, the leaning posts, and the live wells. You design the entire layout of your boat. Come by and see for yourself why they're one of the fastest growing boat builders in the country. All right, man. There you go. Anywhere in the world, too, by the way. I know I've, I've been saying that for the last couple episodes, but I, there was a new, something new I learned from uh, from Lil, their marketing manager, is uh, they ship all over the planet. So kind of crazy. Yeah, I would say, man, just reach out and start a relationship with them. Give them a call. Ask them questions. You know, start the process. If you're even thinking about a boat, start the process. I mean, we live in a crazy world when it comes to boat purchasing, boat selling right now. So it's never too early to start the relationship. Marine Warehouse Center, one of us, one of the fishing community. Absolutely. And, yeah, they're always supporting all kinds of stuff, tournaments and all that stuff. So, um, yeah, 
I know they're supporting. At the time we're recording this, we got a tournament coming up this weekend, which is going to be in the past when this episode comes out. But they'll be there. They'll be at those tournaments. They will. They'll, the they'll be uh, after this comes out. They'll be at the Southport Inshore Challenge the end of August. You know, with the Flounder Tournament, and then they'll be middle of September. They'll be in Carolina Beach with a Red Drum Tournament. You know, maybe Flounder TWT if Flounder's still open. Yeah, man. Well, that sounds that sounds exciting, Garrett. Too bad I will not be here at that time to partake of that for other reasons but anyway let's get into you want to see a photo or do you have a message from those guys over at marine warehouse do you have a joke well, by yeah, chance it wouldn't be a message i mean i would say a <laughs> message would be grossly overstating the level of i don't even know what and i can kind of tell and i'll say you've been a fan of terrell um you've been a fan of his jokes yep I think he's running out of jokes. Oh. I think I think the end may be near. I'm not sure. All right. You tell me when you hear Terrell's latest. Are you ready? All right. Let's go. Terrell's joke, not mine. How do fish stay updated on what's going on in the ocean? I don't know. They read the current news. <laughs> Right? I think the end is near. <laughs> yeah, this bit might be over, Gary. This <laughs> Making up jokes on Terrell's behalf may have just died right there. <laughs> I don't know what you mean about making up jokes on his behalf, but I think Terrell is scraping. <laughs> Poor Terrell. I'm rooting for him. Poor kinda. Terrell. We might have to call somebody else over there and say, we need somebody else to tell some jokes. Terrell's, he needs to go take some comedy classes or something. <laughs> but now I would like to see a fish photo. All right, man, I got one right here. And this is Carissa Moss from Pine Knoll Shores with a dolphin that she caught while fishing near the Swansboro Hole uh, out of Moorhead City. So almost too big to fit into the little frame there that I've designed for that. But, yeah, look, good-looking fish there. Yeah, man, nice fish. And I think Captain Chip Berry is going to help us, you know, with a strategy to find some of those mahi and other offshore pelagics. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to him. Um, hey, uh, I'm thirsty Oh, would you like a coffee, Gary? Man, I'd like 10. Would you like me to ask somebody listening or watching to buy you a coffee? Let's re let's remind it. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, I'm going to remind you to buy us a coffee by going to buymeacoffee.com slash Fisherman's Post. And uh, once again, if you've never heard this pitch before, it's a platform for creators to go on there to be supported by their community. And so we've had a lot of great people reach out to us and uh, through that platform buy us a coffee which is like five bucks or something and uh, also leave show recommendations so we've uh, actually booked a couple guests on recommendations and i know we've seen some come through our youtube channel and buy me a coffee so uh, if there's something you want to list you know you want to learn about in the fishing world in the saltwater fishing world i should say on the coast of north carolina that's how niche market we are uh let us know buy us a coffee let us know uh, let us know anyway you don't have to buy us a coffee but if you buy us a coffee, we listen better with good coffee and caffeine running through right? our veins. <laughs> All right. And so with that, I'm going to transition. I'm going to say, Billy, I'm going to talk with Chip Berry. Man, I think he's going to have a whole bunch of information. Yeah, it's gonna be good. I think it's going to be hard to keep up. I'm actually a little intimidated. I think it's going to be hard to keep up. But you should really feel intimidated. But I still want you to keep up so I can come to you for Billy's best takeaway. I'm going to be ready, Gary. Billy's be best takeaway takeaway i'm ready for it here we go all right well let's bring our guest i'm introducing to you tonight captain chip berry of maps unique and we're going to be doing understanding general offshore habitats welcome to the show captain chip well thank you my friends uh by the way y'all are damn hilarious <laughs> we are i we love are. your joke 
I loved your joke. It was really funny. Yeah, I'm that's not, pretty much my topic. <laughs> I'm funny. Billy's good support. But thank you for having me. Yes. Well, I tell you what, Chip. Before we listen to you talk about understanding offshore habitats, and I am I am looking forward to that topic, so I hope you do well enough for us to continue. We do have a, a tradition of two questions. you got to get through the first two questions before we go on to the main event. If you're ready, Captain Chip, then I'm going to give you question number one. Yeah, let's go behind door number one. Door number one. Why should we sure. listen to anything you have to say about offshore habitats? Well, I think you should leave the session right now no actually well i you know i've been doing this a long time i've i've been fishing for 45 years uh been offshore doing that most of the time and i really put maps unique together to uh uh you know to share that kind of information with my fellow fishermen and i still do it because i still love it and i just like to you know share my knowledge and and so forth so I just still enjoy it. You know, the offshore is a beautiful place. It's a different world. And that works for me, man. I like that answer. I'm, I'm ready for door number two, if you're ready for door number two. I'm scared of door number two, but go ahead. Well, it's actually a trivia question. And uh, you oh, know, to be clear, I had to look it up. I had no idea, but I figured with your map's background, maybe you know the answer. Maybe you can get close. Chip Berry, when was GPS made public and free? Oh, well, let's see. I switched over from Loran to GPS when they had dual systems. And then they finally cut Loran off. I would say GPS came online, I'd say 95. Well, it was 1983 that GPS became public and free. That? And then it was, was 2000 it? where they did the high quality GPS. So they did a dumb oh, yeah, well, version. Differential and stuff. Yes. You yes, got that's it. Right. Well, man, that was a tough question. And I said up front, yeah. man, if it wasn't for Google, then I would not have had an answer at all. I don't even know if I would have known about it becoming public and free. But let's go I on with that. You, let's go on with the I main event. You're going to ask me uh, how, how long a fathom was or, or how. What's the you know length of a meter or something? Well, <laughs> Why would I softball pitch you when I got you right where I want you? I'm going to hey, hit you some harder. Time flies, man. Time flies. All right. So understanding offshore habitats, and I believe what we said is the idea here is you're going to explain to us offshore habitats, how fish behave, what they like, and the purpose behind this conversation is so that we leave with knowledge that better helps us prepare and plan for where we're going to fish when we go offshore fishing. Correct. Correct. Well, man, I'll say I'll step aside and I'll let you go where this is. In my notes, we were going to talk about live bottoms first, but perhaps you have some intro material before we get to live bottoms. It's your show. Okay. Well, thank you. And again, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure. Y'all are a hoot and I love it. Uh, but you know, I've been, like I said, I've been fishing a long time and, uh, you know, for a successful offshore trip requires, I think a lot of multiple factors to kind of come together. Uh, and, you know, finding habitat out there. And when I look at habitat, I'm thinking of structure. Uh, also, there's that water regime out there that's constantly changing. And so you have to balance those two things together, the, the water and the structure. And when you're planning your trip to try to narrow it down to, you know, get to that sweet spot that you want for that day's fishing, 
and for a given time of year too i'll throw that in so uh yes uh live bottom let's talk about live bottom a little bit because that was one of my goals of maps unique was to plot naturally occurring live bottoms uh i've been hunting these things all my life and when i started plotting them i learned a lot so but what is a live bottom i guess just a live bottom is pretty much where you have sandstone or limestone rock that's near the surface, at the surface, or above it. And what happens is that stable hard material becomes uh, live. And I certainly call it live bottom. And, you know, sponge, coral materials, uh, it provides nook and cranny, rocky habitat for game fish, bottom fish, snapper grouper, complex fish, and food for game fish along, you know, those kinds of bottoms. So the, I'd say 10% of the bottom out there is live and the rest of it's pretty sandy, shifty bottom. So you definitely want to, you know, find those, uh, those sweet spots. So, uh, and, and they range by the way, from really right off the beach, you get a lot of scouring near the coast where you get, you know, some good rocky habitat, just a few miles offshore, especially where there are inlets and major outflows. And then you got a couple of good areas on the intercontinental shelf that walks out to the Gulf Stream wall that I'll talk about in a second. And so, you know, it's a hit and miss scenarios. Uh, so I'll kind of move to maybe to those terraces because most of your bottom out there falls along several significant terraces. And there are three out there that that I fish and it's true up and down the East Coast. It's not out of one particular area, but you know, during the glacial period, maybe even millions of years ago when the uh, when sea level was way down on the shelf or way up, it created this habitat and now it's covered with water. But your biggest one is about 50 miles off the beach, 70, 40, depending on whether you fish in Moorhead or Charleston or wherever. But I call it the 30 to 100 fathom terrace. And that's where the water rolls off from about 155 feet of water to deeper than 600. It's a pretty significant wall. And I'm sure you know that places like the, have names like the Big Rock, the Steeples, the Georgetown Hole, uh, the Swansburg Hole, by the way, that you just showed a great picture of that nice dolphin, that's all along that 30 and 100 fathom break. And a lot of times the Gulf Stream pretty much hugs that wall. So you get your water regime and your bottom there together. But that 30 to 100 fathom break is pretty much a, a continuous hit and miss scenario of, of a live bottom ridge along that break. Then you move inshore and it's one of my favorite areas inshore up on shallow water is what I call the 90 foot terrace. And it might be 85 feet, it might be a hundred feet, but there is a meandering terrace there that, you know, all these parallel the shoreline pretty much, although they do meander a lot. And that's where my maps come in handy. But, uh, but that 90 foot is short of the Gulf Stream is my very favorite area to fish. There's a lot of great, uh, hard bottoms along that 90 foot terrace and uh it's very live uh you can catch anything there throughout especially up in the late summer 
right short of a blue marlin because they their requirements kind of keep them in the gulf stream but that is a great terrace and then inshore that is a 60 foot terrace and 55 70 feet of water you know it's a hodgepodge of uh you might say rock piles ledges uh high relief low relief types of bottoms that uh that are great to get in and hunt those along these terraces and and by the way the those terraces support your best snapper and grouper fishing and also uh bait fish and game fish migrate along that terrace whether they migrate north or south or inshore or offshore or vice versa you know those terraces are where they feed uh that's where the bait are so with that being said i might just stop for a minute and see if you have a question um yeah i guess a couple of questions come to mind so those terraces that run basically parallel but meander a little bit so you're saying that those are kind of like highways that sort of hold fish traffic moving, whether it's moving south to north or north to south. Is, did I understand that correctly? Yes, you did. And that brings up another one. Uh, you know how king mackerel in early spring are way offshore on the break and yep. the water's too cold inshore. But when they start moving inshore, they tend to settle on those terraces. And, you know, and to eventually end up right off the beach, you know, in, in, in the later summer months. So, yes, uh, that's a migratory highway. You, you, you nailed it, brother. Migratory highway. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> All right. And then to go back to live bottoms is, you know, I think you said perhaps maybe 10% is live bottom. Is Is it roughly the same percentage whether you're, within 60 or within 90 or within, you know, 120, like, do they become more spread out closer to the beach, more spread out further offshore? Or is it pretty consistent? They're just patched pretty consistently all the way from the beach out to the deep water. I'll tell you what, that was a great question. Uh, that is a really good question. I'm glad to answer that one. Uh, it's pretty, uh, it's pretty much the same going from the beach all the way out there. I would say there tends to be a little bit more concentrated, however, on those terraces, like at 60 feet, 90 feet, and on that 30 to 100 fathom break line out there. But they are scattered, yeah. So you, you can find them pretty equal distance. And a lot of times, which you brought up a good point, uh, a lot of times, some of the areas might be very kind of low relief bottom, but they're very productive. And I say low relief, it's not like maybe massive ledges or outcrops in there, but uh, not, nonetheless, uh, having a good bottom machine, by the way, where you can record, if you're marking uh, a lot of bottom fish and bait fish on the bottom, you're pretty much on a piece of live bottom. And I think my old friend, Captain Rob Beerstadt says it best, uh, you can throw a cinder block in the ocean and it's going to attract something to it. So you think of many cinder blocks scattered all over the ocean, which some got a thousand cinder blocks and some may have only tens, <laughs> you know? Well, yeah. so you started to answer another question I had without even knowing it, but I'm not sure I still have a, a grasp on it. I feel like sometimes, especially with offshore conversations, I can be guilty of, 
kind of pretending I know without fully knowing. So can you explain to me the difference in when you're talking about high relief versus low relief? Okay. Uh, this kind of, I guess this is the kind of science scientist that comes out in me, but uh, a lot of the uh, scientific community, uh, when they map in hard bottoms and so forth, have described them as kind of low relief to high relief. A low relief would be a flat, hard pan area, I call it, where it might even have some shifting sands on it. It has a lot of growth coming up off the floor of the ocean. A uh, grouper love those, by the way. They're hiding that grass that comes up out of those. A high relief, moving to a high relief, might be where the bottom either pretty drastically comes up. And I call it a tabletop before it goes back down. You know, maybe six to 10, 12 feet off the bottom. And that's kind of a high relief where, you know, that exposed rock provides a lot of growth on it. Although the top of some of that high relief can be pretty flat on the top. Again, if you're marking a lot of bait and, and bottom fish on it and, and you roll up a, a tabletop, I call it a high relief bottom, uh, just some really good fishing there. Okay. Uh, yeah. If no, that no, answered can, that. Yeah, you did. I can digest that. You're bringing a little bit of science out and scientific me out of me right now. But yeah, that's a good question. You got some really good questions. <laughs> Um, well, all right. I'm glad, I'm glad. Cause I, again, I'm, I, I want to be smarter when it comes to offshore fishing, which is part of why I was excited about doing this podcast with you. And so if you have any more final thoughts on offshore terraces, migratory highways, let's hear them. And otherwise in my notes, I have that we're talking about ARs, but I, I know you want to leave ample time to talk about Gulfstream current and water regimes, but is there anything sure. left to say about terraces or anything you want to say about ARs? Uh, yeah, I'll move into AR real quick because that's the other natural, I mean, not natural, excuse me, but the kind of structure bottom. An artificial reef uh, in North Carolina, South Carolina has really good programs. Uh, getting back to those terraces, the states try to make an artificial reef, and they're usually about a square mile permitted areas. Uh, you don't see a lot of new reefs now, artificial, you see them adding a lot of stuff to them. It can be, you know, uh, barges, uh, cone units, reef balls, ships, barges, you know, you name it. But the name of the game is there is to provide a hard habitat, just like the limestone rock that becomes live. And, uh, those areas over time, that growth builds up on them. You can hardly tell even what they originally were uh, because it'll create a natural reef on top of that structure once it gets going. So, but they usually place these things in kind of dead areas to provide more habitat uh, offshore to complement the natural or bottoms. I follow. And, uh, I feel like that's sort of something I've noticed where they're adding more to existing instead of creating brand new ones. And so this is all great. So now we understand, you know, we've got a, a foundation in ARs with terraces with, you know, live bottom. But as you pointed out, all of those exist from the beach all the way out. And so that's a whole lot of water. And so that now is when I think you're going to tell us about 
Gulfstream currents and water regimes and how an understanding of how that works and how that affects fish can help me plan where I want to at least start my offshore fishing day the next day. Is is that where we're headed? Yes. That's All right. my favorite. All right. I'm excited. What do you got? Well, first of all, I can just tell you that maps unique can't provide you with the water regime. That's something you've got to get uh, from satellite data. It's the best way to do it. Uh, I personally use, uh, you can get it free on the internet, uh, but I personally use a, a firm out of Florida who uh, who does, takes it in that data and makes more clarity to it, showing you like water current directions, uh, how many days a particular feature has been present uh, to attract game fish and bait fish, you know, those kinds of things. So it's a real, real dynamic environment out there. And the best way to see it is from space. And there's just no doubt about it. I, I study it every day. And it's a fascinating area out there because it is so dynamic all the time. And I, I will mention there's a, there is a difference between like springtime, wintertime, fall and summer. Uh, you get less variable temperatures out there, but you still get the things that make the fishing good, like a boundaries out there that show like a water clarity change, you know, going from, let's say, green to mixed blue water into true Gulfstream dark blue water, purple water, I call it. And uh, those edges along these current boundaries are what we're looking for. And that also pushes the weed lines, you know, your sargasm lines together or your weed mats. Uh, fish yesterday ran across some good grass lines out there and that's where the fish were. But yes, uh, in the springtime, even though the, uh, in the late summer, you won't have very much temperature variation out in the ocean. It's very hot everywhere, but you can see those color differences and find those weed lines by looking at just a minute change in temperature or water clarity out there. And that data is, you know, by satellite. So that's what I look to find. Then I narrow it down to good bottom underneath those areas and plan my trip. Uh, I would like to maybe just uh, mention, well, let's move inland because some people just fish right off the beach and that's fine. Uh, there's work changes there too, just by what, comes out of inlets, you know, fishing tide lines, we call them. And uh, yeah, very productive change. Any change is, is where bait fish are concentrated and game fish come in to feed. And that's where you need to be hunting, right where they're hunting. And it's not uncommon for a dolphin to hunt or build fish to hunt, you know, 100 miles a day working these edges of these current boundaries. But inshore, uh, a lot of times it is affected by the Gulf Stream, but the inner shelf waters, like let's say 15, 20 miles off the beach, you know, sometimes you see some big boundaries between water masses of uh, colliding with each other. What causes them is a lot pretty complex, but the real big deal to me is the Gulf Stream current. And just tell you a little bit about that, because I, I find it, well, first of all, the Gulf Stream has 20 times the flow of all the rivers in the earth combined at any time. It's an amazing, salty, blue water that comes uh, 
I won't get technical here, but basically uh, you got a current that comes out of the Gulf of Mexico and then the Caribbean current, the one in the Gulf of Mexico is called, called a loop current. When those come out there at South Florida, between Cuba and Florida, that, that's when it starts to be called the Gulf Stream. And the spin of the earth and the, the current itself will just always move to the north, always. And when it gets to Cape Canaveral, when it kind of gets out of that chute, you might call it there, and the continental shelf gets wider, it's like a meandering blue uh, river. And that continues on up till you get to a little bit north of Cape Hatteras, and it meets the colder Labrador current, which tends to push the Gulf Stream offshore. But so that's what we're kind of looking for for blue water fishing, you know, for dolphin, billfish, uh, wahoo, that type of thing is, is looking, you know, finding the, the edge of that Gulf Stream. Now, the Gulf Stream is really dynamic. On the western wall, uh, it, it kicks off what we call back loop eddies. And a back loop eddy, now the Gulf Stream's moving north, but those back loop eddies start, they go counterclockwise. And it throws big bands of blue water back up, hopefully, on, you know, it'll be far enough in where it's throwing it way up on the continental shelf. And again, it's making boundaries in there of mixed, you know, water clarity, temperature, weed line, pushing weed lines. So it's that dynamic environment we're looking for. I just love the Gulf Stream. It's my favorite thing to watch. I'd rather watch the Gulf Stream than a, than a TV program, to be honest. So any questions on the stream real quick? No, man, I'm I'm following this. This is this is good. I mean, this is what I was expecting out of this episode is a good general understanding of of the how they work individually and how, uh, I guess ultimately how they work together and part of a plan. Yeah. No, yeah. please continue. Yeah, well, uh that's uh, well, uh I will talk about these times of year a little again. Uh the springtime, you know, well, of course during the winter, but we're not, not, not normally out there in the winter too much to get early spring when the Wahoo show up. But uh, there's a big, you know, the Gulf Stream pretty much doesn't get below about 78 degrees, 79 degrees, even in the winter, where you got, you know, really, really cold water, you know, way in shore. So there's like big boundaries there. Uh, as you move through the spring and early summer, you still get some pretty good boundaries there where you might see, you know, edges out there between intercontinental water and Gulf Stream water, you know, uh, anywhere from maybe four to 10 degrees. And up in Hatteras area where it meets that real cold water, uh, even up in the early summer, it's not surprising to see boundaries up there of 10 to 15 degrees when it starts mixing with that cooler water. So it's a fascinating place, and uh, and I, I just I just love it. And again, when you're uh, when everything heats up there in the summer, the Gulf Stream's still flowing. It's still there. It's just a little harder to distinguish it from any other water because everything's about 84, 85 degrees. But there is satellite data, like water clarity data, based at. Uh, you can actually see the water color change and that helps you figure out more of where the actual, you know, that blue water is instead of just looking for the absolute temperature changes between Gulf Stream water and 
you know, cool ranch or whatever. All right. Well, I, I thought up a question as you're sitting here talking and again, you know, to transition <laughs> to like a fishing plan. So to get satellite data, sea surface and water clarity data, you know, from outer space in that real time, you know, looking for breaks, you know, looking for some of these factors you're talking about. So tell me, and you know, I, I know you're, you understand we're not turning this into a maps unique commercial, but tell me how, how the maps unique chart or, you know, any chart would help me in conjunction with sea surface versus just looking at sea surface and heading out based on that data. So how does the topography present in something like a maps unique help me to even better utilize sea surface and other satellite data? Good question, my friend. You are a question man. I tell you, I love it. I can talk with you for hours. Uh, that's a good question. Uh, let me see how I'll paraphrase this one. Because uh, you're right, it's not a maps unique commercial. Uh, but when you find any of these breaks, uh, whether it's in 90 feet of water, in, just anywhere actually, whenever you find any of these water clarity breaks or along the Gulf Stream, you know, what I try to provide and what I actually do before I fish is I will find these edges and look at the bottom, you know, look at, see if it's falling up on one of these terraces or crossing a terrace. A lot of times, as mentioned, the Gulf Stream will actually hug that big 30 to 100 fathom wall. Sometimes it's further offshore, another 10 or 12 miles. Sometimes it actually spills up onto the upper shelf, you know, that water. So wherever it crosses these terrace systems, to me, is the best. Now, sometimes the Gulf Stream will, these back loop eddies I was talking about, these eddies will actually, as they go counterclockwise, sometimes they will actually break completely off from the stream and will drift to the north, northwest, if not even back to the south sometimes, you know, as isolated pockets of a water color change or temperature change. These pockets can last for you know, four or five days or so before they get absorbed into different water. So when you see pockets like that, that's when you start looking down at bottom data or an artificial reef or a live bottom or something to, uh, because those pockets of water are bringing the fish with it and the, and the bait fish. And those game fish also feed on terraces. So when you got those two together, you pretty much got a good shot at a good day. That makes sense. I, fo I follow yeah. that logic. Um, yeah. Chip, now I, I know we could, we could talk for hours, but I think we're coming to the end of our episode, at least our first episode together. And so I guess I'll turn it back to you for like final thoughts, like how you, how you would like to end this podcast episode. Okay. Uh, well, thank you. I, that's another great, uh, not a question, but thank you for that opportunity, actually. Uh, like I said, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, I bonded with my father in Blue Water. That's where, that's where I found the truth in life, too. I found my higher power in Blue Water. It's no days ever the same out there. You know, people say, well, you know, isn't it the same all the time? I've never seen a day 
this exactly like another day. I've seen similar days, but never have I ever seen a duplicated day. Not in 40 years. And I spent a lot of time out there. I love to hunt. I love to hunt uh, out there. Not hunt like on terrain, but I love to hunt the Gulf Stream or, or any place out there. I like finding new little places, those little Rod Beerstadt places he talks about. You know, there's a little place over here and a little place over there holding fish. It's just fun to hunt it and to learn it. And if I had to say anything right now, I would have to say I'm pleased that uh, uh, I'm pleased with kind of where conservation of fisheries are going. I'm not going to get political here, but uh, I, I think that people realize that uh, it is a, a, a system out there that needs good management. It needs conservation. Uh, people need to do their part in releasing fish. Uh, just bring in back what you need for the freezer and have a good time. But bonding with your friends and family out there has been my passionate. Uh, I still do this thinking about my father every day and my deceased father. But we, we marlin fish together for many, many years. And, uh, you know, so I hope everybody else can get the passion and the love and find that higher power offshore with your friends and family. That's what I would desire for anyone that starts with offshore fishing. Captain Chip Berry, it's been a pleasure talking fishing with you. I look forward to talking fishing with you again. I look forward to going fishing with you, hopefully in the near future. A absolutely. And thank you all so very much. You got it, Chip. Thanks again. Okay. Thank you. Billy. Gary, what an episode, man. Were you paying attention? <laughs> I was I was trying to. I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, that's not my game at all. Like, not, at a not even a little bit. So I'm like, this is all, you know, he's talking about being a little bit of a scientist there. I was like, pretty much a rocket scientist in my mind because I have no idea what you guys are talking about. I'm like, I'm just trying to get an inshore boat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that can be the challenge. I think that's where my challenge started. Like, yeah. inshore waters are so much more accessible. And, you know, offshore, man, any chance to go offshore is a special day. But, you know, those days are just fewer than the inshore days. So, you know, I, I said it tongue-in-cheek where you're paying attention. But yeah. I, I recognize the challenge. If you don't get offshore much to little to none at all, then it, yeah. it can be hard to follow that conversation. I think I can count right here how many times I've been offshore. <laughs> like maybe two, maybe two times. <laughs> what are you doing on this fishing podcast anyway, guy? Huh? <laughs> I'm more of a producer anyway. All right. <laughs> so, but do you have a best I mean, takeaway? We're not talking. I don't know. I don't think I'm trying to think because all that stuff was new to me. So I'm sitting here going, uh, yeah, I'm going to go look at this tool that, that he has and see what even all this stuff means. Because I literally don't have a I guess it was all a best takeaway. I mean, that's a cop-out, I know, but I don't know. Well, I'll say that I have his uh, Nav Unique product on my GPS on my 22-foot bay boat. So you don't have to be a Gulfstream guy. You don't have to be an offshore guy. You know, I, I have hundreds of numbers, if not thousands of numbers now on my GPS. And even though that my boat, you know, while I might take it further than 10 to 15, like really that's sort of where I am. But 
it has given mm-hmm. me a lot to, to start with. I mean, you still got to go out there and you got to make your observations, but you know, you don't have to be an offshore guy to get value out of the product because he's got a lot of stuff, you know, even within yeah. zero to three miles of the beach. And I did learn one more thing, Gary, that you right. ask really good questions. I do. <laughs> I am very good. I'm funny. You're, you're, I'm hilarious. It was good. And I asked very good questions. It, it was probably one of the few conversations, you know, because I think I think everyone knows if they listen to this podcast or watch it or know me in the in the fishing community. I'm not like the best angler, most well efficient <laughs> angler, but I can typically understand a conversation pretty much, like 80% of a conversation. And I literally was like, I don't know what in the hell these guys are even talking about. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I gotta find somebody else for these offshore shows so I actually know what's happening. <laughs> no, it was good, it man. Was good. I enjoyed it. And it was it was good to be back in the seat. It's good to be doing yeah. another episode with you, man. Absolutely, man. Well, we'll see you in the next episode. Once again, I just want to shout out to uh, Marine Warehouse Center and also R.A. Hitch. So really appreciate those guys sponsoring this episode. So go check them out. Support them because when you support them, uh, they support us and you support us. Anyway, and go buy Gary a coffee. He's looking a little sleepy. All, All right. right. We'll see you guys in the next one. Fisherman.